Good morning. Thanksgiving has been celebrated. Have you recovered? May we carry the same spirit of thanksgiving into the Advent season also. Let us begin with prayer. Our Father, we come to worship and honor you this morning. We ask that you would send Holy Spirit to work deeply in our lives. Give us ears to hear and hearts to follow and hands to serve. May we leave here today, Father, um, more and more in love with Jesus, for we pray in his powerful name. Amen. Some of you have already decorated for Christmas. Some of you um, did it right before Thanksgiving. Some of you did it right after Thanksgiving. Some of you are deciding when you're going to do it, and some of you are deciding if you're going to do it, perhaps. Today in the church, our Christmas celebration and anticipation begin. For many, this is an utterly joyous season, and for some, it's a really tough season, and we understand that. The truth is, each of us needs hope. The hope of this season is Jesus, the light in the dark, which is what Advent is all about. When Jesus was born, today we're going to see the meaning of Advent, the prophecies of Advent, the fulfillments of Advent, and the hope of Advent. First, the meaning of Advent. Advent may be a new term for some of you. The word Advent comes from the Latin, meaning arrival or coming. Yearly, we set aside the four Sundays before Christmas to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the coming of Christ into the world, a world of darkness. We want to use these four weeks as a time of preparation and celebration of the babe born in an animal stall. That was the first advent, but also this is a reminder that Jesus will return in the second advent, the second coming of the Lord Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're following the ancient practice of the early followers of Jesus in lighting the candles around the advent wreath. We will light the prophet's candle, the Bethlehem candle, the shepherd's candle, and the angel's candle. And then on Christmas Eve, we will light the Christ candle. We will cover the themes, as Jack mentioned, of hope, faith, joy, and peace. Closing out our Advent season with the Christ candle, we will see that Christ is for us everything. He is our hope, our faith, our joy, and our peace. And without Christ, we have none of these things. One friend wrote this week, Advent is the posture of the redeemed. We are always waiting on Jesus to come, to enter our lives, our homes, our churches, and our communities. We've started today with the prophet's candle. The prophets in the Old Testament promised to point toward something. They promised us that there was going to be a, a Savior, a Messiah who was going to come, not simply to live among the people, but to redeem the people. However, there are some problems. The people of Israel have been expecting a Messiah, a deliverer to come for hundreds of years. 
No prophet had even spoken for 400 years since Malachi. Many were probably even forgetting the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Hope was dwindling. It was a very tough world in which the Israelites lived. They were not the same strong nation that they had been a thousand years before under the reign of King David. The Assyrians had laid waste to the people. Years later, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians had destroyed the temple and the great wall. God's people had been carried away from their homeland. Now some of the Israelites had made it back to Jerusalem and even rebuilt the temple and the wall. But the world had been full of very strong empires for a very long time. From the Medes and the Persians to the Assyrians, Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Greeks. And then there were the Romans. They were powerful and they were ruthless. The Romans made Herod king over Israel. And then amongst the Israelites themselves, there were divisions and groups like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Essenes, the Zealots. And then there were the common people, many whom we would say that in reality were simply slaves or peasants with no power and no hope. There were lots of problems. All this to say that the world of God's people, the Israelites, was very dark. But there was still those prophetic promises made centuries before that God would send a Messiah. As I take us into some of the specific prophecies this morning, let me remind you that near the beginning of the ministry of Jesus along the north of the Sea of Galilee, which we have been seeing in the Gospel of Mark. Scripture ties the prophets of old to Jesus. Hear the word of God as found in Matthew 4. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew unto Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word of the Lord. The light has come into the dark. Let's address the prophecies of Advent. Perhaps you've never thought much about the prophecies of Scripture, but we're going to see some really interesting and cool stuff this morning as we deal with these prophecies. We often do not know what to do with prophecy, and there's certainly much prophecy in Scripture which is debated. When I use the term prophecy this morning, think of promise, for that is what it is. And since it comes from God, it is sure and certain, and it ties to the very hope that I mentioned also. 
The prophecy for this morning is regarding the one who was to come as the Messiah. I mentioned that the Old Testament was written hundreds of years and even more before the birth of Jesus. And scholars will tell us that these writings contain 300 plus prophecies concerning Jesus and how they were fulfilled in the life of Jesus from his birth all the way to his death and his resurrection. The Bible Project, a ministry here in the States promoting Bible teaching, says the following regarding the prophecies which were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Quote, these prophecies are specific enough that the mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling even a handful of them, let alone all of them, is staggeringly improbable, if not impossible. Peter Stoner, chairman of the departments of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena College and professor emeritus of science at Westmont College, was passionate about biblical prophecies. With 600 students, Stoner looked at eight specific prophecies about Jesus. They came up with extremely conservative probabilities for each one being fulfilled, and then considered the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling all eight of these prophecies. The conclusion to his research was staggering. The prospect that anyone would satisfy those eight prophecies was just one in 10 to the 17th power. In one publication, Stoner said, let us try to visualize this chance. If you mark one of 10 tickets and place all of those tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in 10. Suppose that we take 10 to the 17th power in silver dollars and lay them, he says, on the face of Texas. They will cover all of the state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man. 10 to the 17th power would be one in 100 quadrillion. Now these researchers were just considering eight prophecies, not the 300 plus which exist in scripture. Let's look at the prophecies and tie them to the fulfillments that we find in the New Testament. I'll just choose a number um, this morning from the Old Testament and share those prophecies or promises and then the fulfillments. First, let's see the birth and youth of Jesus. A virgin will give birth and he will be called Emmanuel. The prophecy was in Isaiah 9. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The fulfillment we see in Matthew 1, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We look at the Christ being born in Bethlehem. The prophecy was in Micah 5, But you, Bethlehem of Pathra, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you 
will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And then we see the fulfillment in Matthew 2. When he, Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then he quotes Micah 5. Tied to the birth of the Messiah is the promise that the Messiah will have a throne that is everlasting. We see in Daniel 7, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And then we see the fulfillment in Luke 1. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. We see that the Messiah will come out of Egypt. The prophecy in Hosea, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Matthew 2, for the fulfillment. So he, Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. We see the prophecy that Jesus would have a miraculous ministry in Isaiah 35. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leak, leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout, for joy. And then we see the fulfillment in Matthew 11. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. If we look briefly at the final week in the life of Jesus, um, the prophecies are amazing what we see. Jerusalem will rejoice as the Messiah comes to her on a donkey. The prophecy is seen in Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then we see the fulfillment in Matthew 21. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. 
and then listened to the rejoicing. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Even this morning as we consider the Lord's table, ponder these prophecies which were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus, some tied to the table itself. Like the Passover lamb, none of Christ's bones will be broken. The prophecy out of Exodus 12, it must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. And then the fulfillment in John 19. Now it was the day of preparation. And the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you may believe also. These things happened, John writes, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones was broken. The Messiah had his blood spilled for the atonement. We see the prophecy in Leviticus 17, for the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. In Matthew 26, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. And even on the cross, we see prophecy fulfilled. The Messiah would be forsaken. In Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? And then the fulfillment in Matthew 27, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see on the cross also, the Messiah will cry into your hands I commit my spirit. The prophecy, Psalm 31, into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. And then the fulfillment in Luke 23, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. And then finally, the Messiah will conquer death. The prophecy comes from Isaiah 25. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And then the fulfillment in 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 
the truth, the prophecies, the promises of God's words are amazing. Prophecies are made and those very promises are fulfilled in Jesus. Let me return briefly to the thought of hope as we consider the hope of Advent this morning. In December of 1927, a U.S. submarine, S-4, sank off the coast of Cape Cod. The Coast Guard quickly sent divers down, and it was clear that there were survivors. The six surviving men tapped a message in Morse code on the hull of the ship. Is there any hope? Was their question. The Coast Guard replied, there is hope. Everything possible is being done. Can you imagine the feeling of having your oxygen run out, trapped on a submarine? I think the only phobia that I have that I, I know of has to do with elevators. And I've been trapped in two elevators in my life, um, both of them overseas, and one of them was in Ecuador. And after about 15 minutes in this elevator, I thought about conserving air. So I sat down. Now, I was absolutely in no danger. I was calling on the phone saying, can you come get me out of this elevator? And they're saying, what's your room number? I'm saying, it doesn't matter what my room number is. Could you come get me out of this elevator? Well, they finally came, but I seriously was wondering if I would run out of air. I don't think you would in an elevator these days, but um, it's a frightening experience to run out of oxygen. Today, many here feel as if you have little or no hope. Our Father knows that, and He enters into our darkness. He has sent His Son at the first advent, and Jesus is coming again. You have a sure and certain hope of that. The hope of Scripture is not the iffy, maybe it will happen. The hope of God Almighty is as certain as any promise He has ever given. This morning, I encourage you to live in that hope. Hope that saves and hope that rescues. Hope that brings healing to the most broken of relationships. Do you think your relationship with someone is past his hope? Think about that for a minute. It is not. Your darkness can turn to light. The Apostle Paul said much about our hope. Consider this as we come from the darkness to the light. In Romans 15, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Ephesians 1, 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? 
Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And then Ephesians 4.4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. His hope floods our lives. The catacombs in Rome are full of the remains of early followers of Jesus. Many Christian symbols can be found there, but one of interest is that of a boat anchor seen numerous times in the catacombs. The cross piece of that, of the top of that anchor for the early Christians pointed to the cross on which Jesus died. The anchor expresses the certain hope of eternal life. As the writer of Hebrews expressed in Hebrews 6, 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It's not about whether you are strong enough to hold the anchor, but rather know the certain hope that the anchor is strong, firm, and secure for you whatever comes in your life. Jesus is the hope of the nations. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 42, here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. And then Matthew writes in Matthew 12, in his name, the nations will put their hope. A month before he died, the famous atheist, John Paul Sartre, struggling with deep despair, said, I know I shall die in hope. And then in profound sadness, he added, but hope needs a foundation. And he had no foundation. You and I do have a solid foundation in the Lord Jesus Romans 5, 2, through him, we have also obtained faith, access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have the foundation we stand on, Jesus. Titus 3, so that being, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You and I, cannot live without hope. 1 Peter 1.13, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I hope you will do the Advent devotional that was mentioned by Hilda. If you do, you will start off with this verse in Acts 10 verse 43, to him, Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You receive hope in him. The prophecy, the fulfillment, the hope. Great hope is tied to the Lord's Supper. It points back to the fulfilled promise and prophecy. Then at the same time, it points forward to the banquet dinner of the Lamb that's going to come. 
We come to the table this morning as a reminder of the love of the Lord Jesus. Let me ask those who will be serving this morning to come forward to the various tables. On Thanksgiving, you probably feasted. That was minor compared to the meal you're about to partake of. The Lord of Lords and King of Kings invites you into this meal to partake and to be nurtured, to give you the certain hope of God himself. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. And in like manner, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. This morning, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you're invited to come to the table. We would ask that if you have young children with you, that you not allow them to take of the elements until they're able to meet with the leadership of the church and profess their faith. You'll have a gluten-free table in the far corner there, but we invite you to come and partake. Be fed, be strengthened, have your hope renewed this morning and feast on this meal that has been given to you by the one who has fulfilled the promises and the prophets of old. Come when you're ready.